0: Hi, this is Hans from Conscious Lake, New Mexico, where
1: I am a park ranger with the Army Corps of Engineers. I am currently standing among over 500 dinosaur tracks at the beautiful little gem of a state park called Clayton Lake in northeastern New Mexico. This podcast was recorded at... Dinosaur Content. It is 1253 Eastern on Friday, December 3rd. Things will likely have
2: changed by the time you hear this, but these dinosaur tracks will just add a little bit more time...
1: Onto their already over 100 million year old lifespan. Enjoy the show. It makes six years of the NPR Politics Podcast feel like not that much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unless you count how many episodes we've done.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hey there, it's yet again the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House.
0: I'm Tamara Keith. I also cover the White House.
2: And I'm Kelsey Snell. I cover Congress.
1: Like many of us out there, Congress kicked off the week with an extensive to-do list. Same here. I would say I got most of mine done.
0: Speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I have... I got none of mine done.
1: (laughs) An envelope of junk mail here with it all written in Sharpie. And you know what? Most was an exaggeration. I got some of it done. And I guess guess that is the same for Congress. But they did cross off one big thing by passing a short-term spending bill. And Kelsey, look, given the toxicity and dysfunction of Congress... Clearing this very low bar and doing it relatively far before the deadline and that, you know, at least 24 hours before the deadline, that does feel kind of notable.
2: Hey, a whole day. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they were out there taking victory laps and sending out press releases about how they kept the government open. So I guess they would agree with that. (laughs) I mean, yes, they were able to get this done. You know, it's one of those situations where I spent most of the week walking around talking to members about how they they thought they would get this done. And like with many things lately with Congress, none of them actually had a good answer for how they were going to solve the problem. They were all mad at each other about being in the situation where they were getting close to a shutdown. They were all mostly agreeing that they didn't want to have a shutdown, mostly, mostly. And yet. They were still in this situation where they, you know, they are doing a short-term spending bill because they haven't done the very basic job of writing a full-year spending bill. This isn't even the way they're supposed to fund the government, but this is where we are, and they were able to pass something that'll last until February, February 18th to be specific, but that's not a very long time, so we're going to be back in this exact same position in not very long.
1: But but let's spend a minute on what didn't happen though because it seems like a preview for a lot of future fights especially in you know 2023 if if Republicans retake the house there had been a Republican push to try and force a shutdown over vaccine mandates tam how did the white house respond to those threats as they grew over the course of the week
0: they didn't respond a lot. The president yesterday said, well, we think we're going to get it done unless somebody does something irrational or, or something along those lines. And, you know.
1: To which Kelsey tweeted, <laughs> that's, that's what Congress does. Yeah, that's
2: exactly what he said that unless somebody does something completely erratic. And I was like, well, that's kind of the definition of this
0: Congress is somebody wakes up and says, I'm going to do something a little erratic. <laughs> But so here's here's what the White House is doing is the president did put in effect uh, through various regulatory agencies a bunch of different uh, vaccine mandates for employers, Mm -hmm. for hospitals, uh, for for medical providers, for federal employees. And some of those have now been held up in court. And the White House is. Moving forward by encouraging businesses to just go ahead and put in place mandates for their employees anyway. And a lot of businesses actually have. So, uh, in some ways, the White House message on that is okay, fine, we don't really want to engage on that fight, but guess what? Mandates work. Um, And they point to the federal government where uh, I think it's 92% of people, our employees are now fully vaccinated and 97% are in compliance, which means that they have uh, either started the process of being vaccinated or have applied for an ex- exemption or extension.
1: Mm-hmm. Kelsey, there is a clear, even if public opinion polls show otherwise, there is a clear thought from many House Republicans, especially the more Trumpy wing that vaccine mandates are a bad thing. They're unpopular. Voters reward Republicans for pushing back against them. There was a push to try and do, you know, get rid of these or else. Why did that in the end not happen?
2: Well, I think a couple of things were at play here. One is that the senators who were objecting to this were given an alternative, which is they're going to vote on something next week to attempt to, you know, prevent the government from going through with implementing any sort of vaccine mandates. Um, They'll be able to vote on that next week. And if it passes in the Senate, it's probably going to go nowhere in the House. So it'll give them the opportunity to Mm -hmm. kind of get that protest out of their systems. Um, But what really happened is they allowed an amendment vote on vaccine mandate, but they did it in kind of a hurry yesterday because they knew that there weren't enough Republicans in town for it to pass. One senator, John Thune, uh, was back at home for his father-in-law's funeral, and another senator, uh, Senator Haggerty of Tennessee, was back home because his, uh, his high school-aged son was in the state football championship. So they knew that they could allow this amendment vote and that it would never pass, which is like... I joked that this was a square on the bingo card I didn't know existed, but it is exactly how they got themselves <laughs> out of this jam. All
1: right. On to the next looming deadline, and that is the debt limit. We talked a lot about this in September. We made it clear at the time it seemed bad. It got punted, and it got punted to pretty soon. What, end of next week?
2: Well, we're not exactly sure when. They say probably around the 15th of December would be when um, the Treasury Department thinks the U.S. will run out of borrowing power. There could be some flexibility there, but you know, Democrats in the Senate in particular say that they are going to move forward as if the deadline is actually the 15th. They want to get this done before Christmas. Part of this that I think is really interesting, though, is there have been some quiet secret little meetings between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell about this, which indicates that they are working together in a way that they weren't before on debt limit. McConnell notably said that the Republicans weren't going to do anything to help Democrats when it came to the debt limit, so long as they, as Democrats were moving forward with plans for trillions of dollars in additional spending. Well, if they're having meetings about it, maybe you know, that position has changed or Republicans' assessment about, you know, the advisability of having a fight over default, maybe that has changed. But I'm really interested to Mm -hmm. see where this is going.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand what changed. Yeah, I'm not sure either. If they're willing to talk about it now, but they weren't willing to talk about it before.
2: You know, I'm not um, totally sure either. And that's fascinating to me because, you know, Mitch McConnell's not exactly a person who pivots – lightly. He is a very deliberate politician. And so I'm, I'll am i be curious to watch where this is headed.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, if you squint and look at it just the right way, we might be seeing what could possibly hypothetically maybe be a sneak preview of the 2024 presidential campaign. Don't at me. And we're back. And if you follow me on Twitter, which In the pre-podcast conversation, Tam, there was some tension about this point.
0: I I do follow you on Twitter. (laughs) I did not see this tweet. I promise.
2: (laughs) I refuse to commit to whether or not I follow you on Twitter, Scott.
1: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Anyway, for those who do... You know,
2: a thing that is easily checked.
1: (laughs) There are two specific photos I posted yesterday uh, that are going to guide this conversation. The first one is Vice President Kamala Harris and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg hugging each other right before they boarded Air Force Two together to fly to North Carolina to promote the brand new Infrastructure Act, which of course delivers a lot of money to a lot of places for a lot of things. The second one is Buttigieg shooting dagger eyes at me as I asked him a question aboard Air Force Two. So that's what we're going to talk about. I will explain why.
2: Scott, what did you do to deserve this?
1: <laughs> I asked him about a presidential race three years from now. Um, oh. you know, he- <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and a topic of much speculation around Washington in recent days, the dynamic between those very two people who you flew on a plane with.
1: Yeah, and... Look, the White House is making a very big show of being exasperated with all of the speculation, but it's real and, and there's a few factors why. President Biden is old. He's 79 years old. When he took office, he was the oldest president ever, older than anyone when they left office. He said as he ran that he saw himself as a bridge candidate. So there were always some questions early on of would Biden maybe not run for a second term. Those questions have picked up as his approval ratings have really sunk and Democrats have started to freak out about their fate in the next couple elections based on the current political climate. And even though Biden and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki have repeatedly said he plans on running again in 2024, these questions are out there. And when you start thinking about that, I think the two people who really pop to mind as possible other Democrats who could step into that void are, of course, the Vice President Kamala Harris, but also Pete Buttigieg, who ran for president, and is, I think it's fair to say, Tam, the most high-profile member of this cabinet, which the fact that you're talking about the Transportation Secretary— is pretty notable.
0: Yeah, I don't remember a lot of conversations about other transportation secretaries ever before. Yeah. But he's somebody who ran for president, who garnered a lot of attention, who is now, you know, like he and his husband are people that people watch. So I have a question for you guys, if the White House
2: doesn't like all of this speculation, why why were they out there together?
1: I think it's a fair point. I think they knew that if if the two of them went to a really important political state, North Carolina together, they would get a lot of attention. Guess what? I flew on the plane to go cover them. And and they were there to talk about infrastructure. But when Buttigieg came back to ask, uh, you know, to do a very quick press gaggle with us, I asked him, you know, about whether all of the speculation is something he and Harris have addressed or talked about or thought about. It's 2021. And the whole point of campaigns and elections is when they go well, you get to govern. And uh, we, we are squarely focused on the job at hand.
0: Yeah, I so Scott, I can't imagine the White House loves these conversations happening or this kind of speculation happening. And that answer is like a classic, I'm not ruling anything out, but I'm not ruling anything in. Mm,
1: I guess so. I mean, somebody pointed out he could have very easily said, well, of course, Joe Biden's running for president again, and I support him. And he didn't say that. But I think the flip side of it is, you know, then they got to North Carolina. The two of them toured uh, electric buses together. I watched them tour a bus. I watched Harris sit behind the wheel of the bus. And and the the bus maintenance guy very gently was like, ma'am, I just want to point out electric buses are quiet, but this bus is on right now. So don't, so don't hit the gas, <laughs> which I appreciated as I was standing directly in front of the bus when that happened. Um, but they made a case for infrastructure. Uh, Harris, I think, really uh, went out of her way to talk about how these, you know, know, these big spending areas these big wonky projects really affect individual people's lives
0: and people who use public transportation for their commute often spend much more of their time in transit time that they could be spending with their friends and family
1: i mean the argument being a line item spending to improve the buses in one city can really have a big difference on people and i think That is a point she is very eager to make right now because as the administration just looks at the overall political climate of a lot of voters being angry and frustrated and feeling like things aren't working, they seem pretty desperate to try and connect their policies to people's lives.
0: And this is an administration whose entire, I hate to use the phrase, theory of the case is that the federal government can work for people Mm -hmm. and they are out to prove that it can work. And even as we were talking earlier about Congress barely being able to do the basic functions of government. They did pass an infrastructure bill. The president signed it. Now he's got his cabinet out there promoting it. And, you know, Scott said they're trying to connect it to people's everyday lives because, frankly, this administration is not getting a lot of credit for some very big pieces of legislation that have already passed.
1: Or literally giving money to people.
0: Like every month. Child yeah. tax credit.
1: Yeah, just the political credit has not been as as obvious as they thought it would be. So I think it's a big challenge right now.
2: This is kind of happening also in a week where there's been a lot of focus on Harris in particular and kind of what her role is at the White House.
1: Yeah, she's had some high-profile staff departures, which is, which is something that happened during her presidential campaign as well. And I think a lot of people drew connections there. The, mo- the most notable name is Simone Sanders, who was – a high-profile spokeswoman for the Biden presidential campaign, before she she went to be Harris's spokesperson, uh, announced this week that she will be leaving the office. A few other key uh, communication staffers are as well. We asked Harris about this. You know, is, is there some sort of broader staff shakeup happening? She had a very specific answer: "of Next question. <laughs> we did not want to talk about that." But um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. She's really been given a lot of tough tasks by the White House Tam you were on that trip with her to Guatemala where she's charged with with trying to bring some sort of concrete changes to so to deep lasting economic regional problems which just feels impossible
0: to address the root causes of migration and the you know the the very real have not gone away even remotely uh, challenges with immigration that this administration is really struggling with to this day I mean speaking of ongoing challenges for the administration.
2: I also kind of wanted to quickly talk about <laughs> President Biden and the plan he announced this week to tackle the coronavirus this winter. And Tam, I have to say it kind of felt lacking.
0: Well, there weren't any big blocked, Buster, new initiatives, big blockbuster, new Mm. surprises, no big new mandates. Uh, The major headline is that they're going to get insurers to cover uh, private insurers to cover those uh, over the counter covid tests that um, we've all bought over the counter (laughs) after various scares in our own lives. Um, And right now they're about 25 bucks for two. In theory, they would start being free sometime early in the new year. Um, but the, the public health experts that NPR is talking to say this is kind of like just not enough.
1: Right, because, Tam, we should clarify, free is not free in this plan. Free is pay 25 bucks and for it. And then get it reimbursed, right? At some point, try to get your insurance to reimburse it, yeah.
0: Which can take paperwork and mail and sometimes faxing. <laughs> it is something, but it's not, you know... Go to go to your corner store, pick up a free covid test. There's just a big pile out front. Mm -hmm. It's not that. Um, And and the other thing is that there were some public health experts who have said who have been begging, frankly, for months for this White House to use one of the levers that it has remaining in terms of a mandate and mandate that if people want to get on a commercial airline in this country, uh, that they need to be either vaccinated or at the very least tested first. And uh, and that's not something that this White House is yet prepared to do. I asked about that yesterday and uh, Jen Psaki said everything is still on the table. So, you know, but I think that this winter plan is it's more adding a few a few Lego blocks on top of the initiatives that they already have in place. And And the big thing is just. They want more people to get vaccinated, and they are now frantically trying to have a very clear message that says, if you qualify, go get a booster. Basically, everybody
1: qualifies. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, it's time for Can't Let It Go.
2: Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Jo explains the importance of creating a safe space for therapy. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that say that expression, like, I've never told that to anybody. That's when I know I've made some kind of momentous move with this person. They feel safe enough to expose that part of themselves, and doing that together with somebody else can be very powerful. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com politics.
1: We are back, and it is time to end the show like we do every Friday with Can't Let It Go, the part of the show where we talk about the things from the week that we cannot stop thinking about politics or otherwise. Kelsey, you can go first.
2: All right. So I went to the library over the weekend um, with my kid, and we we're looking through the kids section, and he brings over to me a book that I absolutely cannot let go of, and it is Lil Nas X, C is for country. <laughs> yes, that little Nas X.
0: He has a kids book and it's amazing. Is it like an alphabet look a book? Like in the genre of alphabet books? Yes. So
2: let me read you a couple.
1: Less controversial than some of the other products he is currently offering, I assume. <laughs>
2: When I suggested this one, our producer, Barton, uh, asked me if it was um, not suitable for work or suitable for work. And I said that it's a children's book and I sure hope it's
0: suitable for work.
2: (laughs) Okay. So my absolute favorite one is F because F is for fringe and feathers and fake fur. I love that for me.
0: Aw. Great. Um,
2: it it features him hanging out in his house, uh, riding his, uh, horse Panini. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I is for itty bitty pony and it is Lil Nas X in a pink cowboy outfit and a pink cowboy hat. Hopping up on his horse, Panini, and O, of course, is for Old Town Road.
1: (laughs) But you don't have to take Kelsey's word for it.
2: (laughs) No, you can go and find this book uh, wherever (laughs) fine children's books are sold. Or even checked out for free. (laughs) Checked out for free at the DC Public Library.
1: (laughs) Someone from a narrow age range will get that reference. Uh, I will will go next. I will say, unfortunately, I just had a late-breaking Can't Let It Go that truly delighted me of video of German Chancellor Angela Merkel at her farewell ceremony, listening to a German military band play Sandstorm from Darud. Unfortunately, in the four minutes I've been aware of this, I've gone from this is amazing to this might not actually be real. So I don't think, I don't know. <laughs> oh, we'll as find with out with more research. Uh, but I will, I, will not, I will just say, um, everyone got into Squid Game, and I was like, I don't know, things are too dark. For me to watch that as a show, so right. I just wa- I actually found time to watch movies, possibly because of the Thanksgiving holiday, and I watched two delightful movies. One is the seventy six thousand hour long Beatles documentary uh, by mm. Peter Jackson.
2: I can't wait to watch. This is on our watch list at home,
1: and I feel like a lot of people might be skeptical. I'm not like a Beatles super fan. I like their music. I I grew up in a house where it was played a lot, right? But like. It was so interesting to just watch the creative process play out, and especially as mm-hmm. you know, we all write things on deadline, right? We we do not write Beatles songs, but we write things, and it's often on deadline. And
2: no, my newscast spots are pretty much hey Jude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like, as someone who has written on deadline for a long time, there was this magical moment that gave me like pins and needles of like they're all, they're all in the studio it's obviously not going well because the band is kind of about to break up and they're either slacking off or arguing or lots of different things or procrastinating. And then all of a sudden Paul just starts like writing a song and like you see it go from like messing around to, to get back in like five minutes and it's just amazing to watch. And then later there's this moment where they're again having this asinine argument about whatever. And he's just sitting down at the piano and the, And the filmmakers weren't even focusing on this. They didn't realize he's sitting at a piano, and you realize that he is, like, refining uh, Let It Be on the piano. And it's just really cool to see that. And then I went back from being like, oh, creativity, yay, to watching Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix, which is all about Jonathan Larson before he wrote Rent. And I'm just riding this wave of feel-good creativity music uh, in in my movie queue right now. And that is what I can't let go of.
0: Our household movie queue is like all the movies that are possibly a little inappropriate for our nine-year-old, nine-year-old to watch, but we feel are part of his movie education. So Ooh, he recently I know, I know. watched Three Amigos, Spaceballs. Mm. We did Men in Black. We've done Gremlins. Anyway, he, we're working through a lot of films that uh, are are important for a young man to know about for the future or possibly only important <laughs> for a young man of the 80s to know about for their future. And, these co- and, and now he's going to have all of these really terrible jokes and pop culture references that no other child will ever get. Time will tell.
1: At least he'll get all the references that, that you were making in the household.
0: Exactly. He's going to discover his parents aren't funny. They just keep making jokes from movies.
1: <laughs> other than that, what can you not let go of?
0: Well, so last night was the the big annual national Christmas tree lighting uh, near the White House. Uh, lots of people were there, including Patti LaBelle, uh, the uh, the diva, the singer, the the you know Patti LaBelle, and uh, yeah. and she gave a uh, perfectly incident free performance, I'm told. However, the the occasion of her being at the national tree lighting. Was an occasion to revisit her 1996 performance of "This Christmas," um, where at one point she asks, "Where are my backup singers?" and at another point she scolds the cue card man, and and yet also is making beautiful singing sounds. It's crazy. You should know. She's oh, on no. an empty stage. There are no background singers. wrong words the know You don't know the song? It's
1: This Christmas. I'm
0: gonna have I can. Because I don't have the right I oh,
1: have no background oh, singers. I have no background
0: singers.
1: Wait, the entire album that she had just released was called This Christmas.
0: <laughs> yes. Wait, really? Yes. It wasn't even
1: just a song. It was the album. <laughs> yes.
0: But it was so good. It was so catastrophically bad. It was so gloriously good.
1: All right. That That is a wrap for this week. We'll be back in your feed Monday. Our executive producer is Mathani Maturi. Our editor is Eric McDaniel. Our producers are Barton Girdwood and Elena Moore. Thank you to Lexi Shapittle and Brandon Carter as well. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House.
0: I'm Tamara
2: Keith. I also cover the White House. And I'm Kelsey Snell. I cover Congress.
1: Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast, and have a good weekend.